It's possible that we've come in here, even those of us who are here with distractions, it's possible that we've got things that are in our mind that's in the front of our mind that needs to take the back seat so that we can get from God's Word what we can. So hopefully you're able to do that this morning. And even if not, I believe that the Spirit of God is powerful enough to grab a hold of you even if you're not ready. So hopefully that'll happen as well. I want you to know that I've mentioned we're going to announce this week a new series. So we'll do that now. If you could go with that. There you go. This is called The Hard Time Letters, Practical Life Skills from Paul's Prison Epistles. We're going to do this from August to April. Yeah, you can go ahead and click that. That's fine. Um, But today, we're going to pick up on the last message in the series of Authentic Living Today. Now, if you want, you could use this next upcoming series as a time where you can invite people, your neighbors, people that you know even lightly, but people that you think might be ready for an invitation. We have little posters in the lobby. You can grab them as you leave, take as many as you want. You can hang them up at your wherever you hang up announcements or give them to friends. This might be a good time to get them here. We'll pull out more chairs if we have to uh, to prepare for that. But as we go through that new series, um, it should be just kind of a, a continuation of what we've been doing. Because in this series... The, the general theme is hope through the suffering. That's the, the kind of the idea through Peter's letters. There is hope through the suffering. And if after today you're still intrigued by the letters of Peter and want to do, go even further in your studies, I would like to recommend to you Chuck Swindoll's book, Hope Again. It's a good book. It'll take you in a different perspective uh, through the letters of Peter. Today, we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, eschatology part 3, end times and the patience of the Lord. I want to do things a little bit differently today, if you don't mind. So let's go through the points at the beginning. You ready? Things to learn. Here we go. There's eight of them. (laughs) Mockers will mock Christianity in the last days. Remember to love one another. And that's from John 13, 34, Jesus' new command. There will be a reckoning. Some scripture is hard to understand. If Peter's letters are inspired, so are Paul's. Judgment, judgment's delay equals God's patience. Number seven might be troubling to some of us. Jesus can return any day. Don't seek signs. Now, there's an asterisk here that comes up, and you'll see that when JC clicks it, and that is for the purpose of letting you know we're going to continue this next week. So if you don't learn today, judgment, or, uh, Jesus can return any day. Don't seek signs. If you don't learn that today, you'll get that next week. The next week's message is definitely about eschatology, and it's kind of a basic. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But the last one, God wants everyone to be saved. 
Those are the things we'll see as we go through. So I'm kind of doing this deductively, giving you the points at the front, and then we'll go through and see, is this really what we're being taught here? So we'll launch into the text. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. I love what Peter has done, because if you can put yourself back in time when you are in the local congregation that happens to receive a copy of Peter's letter, you are one that's going through suffering that's scattered about, and your, your congregation is suffering. You're being persecuted, you're going through difficult times because of your faith, and then your congregation meets together, more than likely in someone's home, and you've heard the news, and finally someone stands up and says, we have a letter from Peter. And you know the feeling is like, what? From Peter again? This is the second letter, obviously. Another letter from Peter. Everybody, okay, come, let's, let's, let's be quiet. Let's listen. There's respect. He's an elder. He's an apostle. And he's written something that is clearly Scripture. And we've got a copy. And we're, we're going to read this now. This is, this is God's stuff. And here we are opening it up today. We can have that same kind of passion. This is God's wisdom. Peter has written to us as we've been suffering through this plague, haven't we? He's written to us. But there is hope. And here's another letter about that. And he, and he says very clearly at the beginning, beloved. It's just like saying, you know I love you. It's my second time to write you. Listen. And he emphasizes, he's trying to stir us up so that we will be reminded to remember. <laughs> Did you catch that? You've got to have your minds, you've got you to sort it out, think it through, focus on the things you're supposed to be focused on. Because when you're suffering, it's easy to focus on the suffering rather than on the hope that's beyond the suffering. So he's written this second letter, he's reminding, you know, he's wrapping it up. This is the second time. And he's emphasizing... Don't forget about the predictions. What is happening has been predicted. And there's more stuff that's coming. And then he says even more. Talks about that mockers will mock Christianity in the last days. That is exactly what he's saying is going to happen and it's what's happening. Mockers will mock Christianity in the last days. But he also says, remember to love one another. He basically says, remember the commandment that Jesus gave you. Well, what was that? He said in John 13, 34, a new command I give you. And I don't know if you remember when he did this. It followed the, on the heels of Judas, the revelation that Judas is betraying him. And so, love one another very easy to take notice that other people are doing things they shouldn't be doing. And it's, you still should confront it. But you've got to love one another. 
That's what Jesus emphasized. This is the new command. Don't forget that, Peter says. You've got to remember, these things were predicted. Mockers are going to mock. That's what they're going to do. I want you to pay attention because the word is, that's used in many translations is scoff. And I want to look at Merriam-Webster's definition. Now, Merriam-Webster's isn't always the best definition, but in this case, this works. So we flesh it out a little bit. You can see scoff means an expression of scorn, derision, or contempt, jibe, an object of scorn, mockery, or derision. Now, as I read that definition, some of us are going, I don't know what all those words mean. So let me help you out here. Here's the connotations. Here are the connotations that come out. First of all, when somebody's scoffing, there is a level of disrespect. There's taunting, indignation, as if they are better than you and you are so wrong. Ridicule, disdain, and their remarks come across purposefully as snide. All of these elements go with that idea of scoffing. People will look at you as a Christian and they will attack your beliefs in such a way that they feel you are beneath them. Is this happening today? Well, hey, Peter said this was predicted. This is going to happen. And, and then he's, but he put with that, don't forget, love one another. That's the command of Jesus. It's, it's harder to love people when they're acting like you're beneath them. And, but you're supposed to remember to love them. In this world, it's a crazy, crazy thing. This happened to me this week. Maybe some of you saw I, I posted on social media, uh, which I don't do that very often, to ask for prayer and ask for prayer. And then I had a non-believer get on there. I said, praying people, and then I had my prayer request. The non-believer get on there and start questioning, why are you asking anybody to pray? What's the point? And that's, that's where they went, because, you know, we're beneath them. doesn't make sense to them. They argue about a God that doesn't exist. It's an interesting thing. They don't believe in this God that they've created in their mind. And the problem with that is we've helped them with this. We, we help them. We give them this, these crazy... We follow false doctrine, and we'll talk about that a little bit, too. We follow false doctrine because some preacher says something or it's some, some author wrote something, some televangelist said something, something on the TV, on Trinity Broadcasting Network. It has to be true. Or Google, you know? We, we, and we follow it. So this person was criticizing because we give them the ammunition to criticize. Because we say things that are simply not true, not biblical, and we just, they're cute. And in the church, we say cute sayings, and they become our doctrine. Like, well, if it's meant to be, then it'll happen. Really? You mean like that serial child molester thing was meant to be? Really? God did that? Is that what you're saying? Because that's what we're saying when we say, well, everything that happens happens because God makes it happen. Then, that, then we get to blame God for everything. That drunk driver that killed those innocent people, that was God's fault. You know, no wonder the atheists have a, 
a party and think we're beneath them, we, we arm them with false doctrine that we say we believe. <laughs> it's not God's fault. Everything bad that happens isn't God's fault. He gives us free will. There are whole churches, whole denominations, a bunch of them, that teach that God doesn't give us free will. He makes it all happen. And, and we buy into it. And then the atheists get to have a heyday. Why even pray? Because God's going to do what God's going to do no matter what we do. Really? That's not sovereignty. Sovereignty is that God can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it to whoever he wants to do it or for whoever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. But he chooses to give us free will. That's the catch. He doesn't force his will to always happen. He lets us make choices and we get those consequences with those choices. That's a whole sermon I would love to preach, but just to let you know, we arm the atheists. I don't believe in this God that you pray to because he's going to do whatever anyway, whether you pray or not. No, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible actually listens to our prayers and answers our prayers. That's the God that I believe in. I don't believe in this God they've made up in their head. That they're, they're arguing about, it's called, in logical reasoning, it's called a straw man. You're arguing about something over here that we weren't talking about. I don't believe in that God you've made up. I believe in the one right here in the Bible. That's the one. Don't you? So we'll continue with verse 4. They will say, these scoffers, where is the promise of this coming? And don't forget, that word coming can be translated coming or going. In this particular case, it's coming is the best translation. Where is the promise of his coming? And that would be his second coming. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook, these people that are, these scoffers, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, long before they were born and thought about these things. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Wow. Did you know that? In the study of eschatology, eschatology did you know that peter inspired by god says hey this is all being held for fire hell on earth is this description simply put there will be a reckoning these scoffers they might act like they are beneath, that we are beneath them they might act like they are above christianity god jesus and the bible but when it comes down to it if we do not bow down and worship the Lord Jesus today. We'll be forced. Everyone will do it someday. You don't want to be forced. You want to do it by your own choice. And God gives you that choice. And you need to do it before the day of reckoning. But we'll move on. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Don't, don't, don't pass that over. When you see beloved... It's like Peter saying, I love you. I want you to know this. You should, you should feel him putting his arm around you saying, learn this with me. 
That, that's what this means. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, it's interesting that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. People try to take this and make it something it was never intended. People, it's crazy what, what they do with this. They try to say that he's talking about literal days. But if you read the rest that it's already up behind me, you'll see the context and what he means. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Because remember, they're scoffing, saying, why hasn't the Lord returned yet? All these scriptures you read says soon to happen. Well, hey, it's been quite a while now. A couple thousand years, where is he? Scoff or scoff. Well, this, the Lord is not slow. He says, but is, is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, which means all should change their mind and understand Jesus and make Jesus as Lord and Savior. So people take this and they try to say a thousand years is but a day with the Lord. So you see in the creation account, days weren't days. They were thousands of years. Each day was at least a thousand years because see, Scripture says to God, a day is a thousand years. So there you go. Every day in creation, a thousand years. That, that helps us a little bit trying to force millions of years into the Bible because we can get a thousand for every day in creation. How about that? Have you heard this? Okay. Well, let's test that theory. Anybody uh, recall how old Adam was? Anybody remember how? how was, 930? Did somebody say that? Oh, okay. So... Adam lived to be over 900 years, but wait a minute. He was much older than that. We follow this theory. The days of creation, each day is a thousand years. Multiply 900 plus times a thousand. Woohoo! We got millions of years right there. There you go. 365 days in his years, but each of his days was a thousand years times a thousand. Wow! There we go. Now we got dinosaurs and everything all figured out. The problem is that's not uh, what God was saying. He wasn't talking about the days of creation were a thousand years. He was talking about his patience. That's what he's talking about. In fact, if you, we, in the points that I gave you before, understand judgment's delay equals God's patience. That's what that means. And why? Is God being so patient? Well, you do understand, don't you? He is being so patient because he wants everyone to be saved. Look at that verse again. If you'll put it up there, JC. There you go. It says very clearly, he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants everyone to be saved we're back to again that concept that false doctrine that god's will always happens that's what people say we're back to that concept that that whatever is meant to be will happen if god wills it then it'll happen no i don't always do god's will do you are you really saying that you're perfect 
Because that's what you're saying when you say you actually believe God's will always happens. You're saying you always do God's will. I know I don't. I want to, but I mess up so often. I want to please the Lord, and so many times I mess up. I feel like Paul sometimes, not the, the good Paul that's such a great dynamic winner of souls, the one that's described in 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 7, where he says, I do not do the things I know I'm supposed to do, and the things I know I'm supposed to do or things I know I'm not, I'm not supposed to do, I keep on doing. That's, that's how I relate to Paul sometimes. I don't always do God's will. People don't always do God's will. You've met some of these scoffers. Do they do God's will all the time? Well, then, if God's will is not always happening in their life and in my life and in your life, then who in their right mind can claim that God's will always happens? Why did Jesus teach us, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Remember when he said, your will be done? Why did he teach us to pray like that? Why, when he was heading to the cross in Gethsemane, did he pray three times, your will be done? What's the point if it's always going to just happen? And it says here in our scripture today that God wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but to come to repentance. Well, if God wants everyone to be saved, why is it clearly told to us in many passages? Matthew chapter 7 is one. It's only a narrow gate and only a few will enter through it. God's will doesn't always happen. He wills, He wants everyone to be saved. But not everyone's going to worship Him. Not everyone's going to make Him Lord of their lives and accept Him as Savior. And the, and the sick thing is, people might listen to this message online who aren't here. Maybe even somebody who's here, they want to hang on to these things they've said, they've heard other people say, they've been taught, and they, they well, I still think God's will always happens. Well, what Bible are you reading? What life are you living? This is, this is where we get our truth. Not from cute little sayings that we come up with in the church. It should not, teachings of man should not supersede Scripture. This is not a play toy. Okay, so let's look at this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth will be, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, notice two things here. It says, The Lord will come like a thief. Notice that come like a thief part. Hold that in your mind. And then the second part of that is right after it, and the heavens will pass away. The reason why I have those underlined up behind me is because I want you to dwell on it a little bit. Think about it a little bit, and I want you to be thankful for this. There are 46 other verses that originally I had on slides that I was going to throw up behind me, and we would have been here long past lunch after I looked at that. I thought, we can't do that. That's too much. So that's why we're going to have eschatology uh, next week, eschatology 101, the asterisk. That was what I uh, wanted to talk about. Next week, we're going to flesh it out in a little bit more detail, and there will be 46 
plus verses up here. And we're going to look at them. And I think you're probably going to learn some things you've never heard before and find a lot of comfort in the Word of God. Now, I also want to talk to you about the part that I had with that asterisk earlier. And it said, I said something about signs. I want you to remember this. And I've got the King James version of what Jesus said. Look at this passage up behind me. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Hang on to that. We're going to go with that next week with those other 46 verses plus. And uh, we will see what God actually says about these things. I, I suggest to you that sometimes we get a little too caught up in our end times fanaticism. Scripture is important. We want to dwell on that. But we'll get to that next week, uh, talking more about end times. You want to bring a notepad and pencil and uh, be ready for that. But what the Scripture is teaching is, is that Jesus can return any day. Now, the don't seek signs part, I just gave you a Scripture for that. But you remember when you were taught, when you were younger, most of you grew up in a church and you were taught by well-meaning and very smart people who adhered to the Word of God that Jesus could come back any day, right? Well, since that time, Hollywood's gotten a hold of Christianity, and we've gotten some teachings that I've actually had people tell me in independent Christian churches, leaders tell me that Jesus cannot come back because there's still some signs we've got to wait to happen. That this is happening. So just understand, he'll, he, he will come like a thief. You don't want to be one that's caught off guard. So be ready. All right, so let's keep going. Chapter 3, verse 11 of Second Peter. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the things of the earth, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He's telling us, be ready. Imagine him with his arm around you, and he's saying to you, you know I love you. Don't forget to be set apart. Don't be like the world. That's what holy means. Holiness and godliness. Be like God wants you to be. In these difficult times while you're suffering, it's easy to become just like everybody else. Complain about everything. Focus on negativity rather than dwelling on the Lord. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Here he goes again. Peter's making a point, and he's reiterating. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So as we're going through all this, all this, this stuff of the earth, all these difficulties of life, imagine Peter. God's doing this through Peter. He's, he inspired him. He's got his arm around us. So you imagine God having his arm around you saying, look, this, this is all going to be, this is all temporary. And what you're going through, that's going to pass too. And, and, and the people that are scoffing, they'll get theirs. Just keep loving other people. There's better days that are ahead for those that believe in Him. 
Another one of those points, if Peter's letters are inspired, so are Paul's. What? What? Go back to that verse. You, you see, JC, just click. It'll go to the next, the same thing. There you go. <clears throat> Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. You remember, remember we were taught that the bride of Christ needs to be presented without spot or blemish? He's making this personal. We have a part in this. We are part of the bride of Christ. We are to be as righteous as we can be. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. I gave you a little bit of a precursor. What you're about to hear is that Peter sees Paul's words as inspiration. And JC, if you'll click that next slide, it'll give us the rest of that verse. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, isn't that interesting? Not only was Peter aware of Paul's writings and the complexities of them, he also is very aware that they are Scripture. There are people, I've talked about this before, that like to say that Paul was a chauvinist, which implies they don't believe Paul was inspired. And it implies that they think God's a chauvinist. But according to Peter, Paul was inspired. He's very aware of Paul's writings and validates it by the inspiration of God. Paul had Peter write that Paul's letters are Scripture. Wow. And we begin going through some of those in August. So that's kind of cool that God does this. He helps us understand that Paul's letters are inspired. Paul's writings are inspired. That's awesome. Some scripture is hard to understand. Did you catch that? He's talking about Paul's, yeah, some of them are hard to understand. Well, some scripture is hard to understand. Y'all just went through, some of you went through a study of Revelation here at the church. Remember, this calls for a mind of wisdom. It's like saying, put on your thinking caps. You can't just read this lightly. This isn't light and fluffy. Some of it's hard to understand. Romans? hard to understand. Book of Revelation, not so easy to understand. Some scripture is hard to understand. And I don't think it's coincidence that God would have Peter say this in the middle of talking about very complex and difficult things. Do you? He's reminding us some scripture is hard to understand as he's writing scripture, as we're reading his letter. This is from Peter, and Peter says some of this is hard to understand. Might want to go back and reread it. Might want to double check. Don't believe just what every preacher says. The preacher might be very convincing and sound smart, use Greek words and all that stuff, but you should check for yourself. Some of this is hard to understand. Believe this, no matter what anybody says about it. Now, I want to give you a scripture up front. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. I don't have this up behind me. You need to check this out for yourself. It should be one of these highlighted in your Bible, if you highlight in your Bible. 
Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. For if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. This particular verse says that doctrine is an issue of salvation. What you believe, what you teach, has to do with salvation. Because what we do, if we teach something that's false, then we are arming the enemy, and we're also confusing people. And we're undermining Scripture. So be careful what you believe. Trust the wisdom of God. 1 Timothy 4.16, why did I put that up there? Because Peter says something that should remind us of that as he wraps up his second letter, wraps up both books today with these final words. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter just wrapped his arm around us and told us, I love you. Learn these things with me. And at the end of it all, Peter's emphasis is to glorify God. We need to focus on the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace. And may God be glorified. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to open up your word and go through First and Second Peter. Thank you for symbolically putting your arm around us and teaching us, pulling us closer through your spirit by your word. And God, those of us that have come in this morning a little bit distracted with life's struggles, just like that first century church that Peter wrote to, scattered about and suffering. Some of us are suffering as well. Some of us are going through things that we don't even talk about, things that are troubling in our own minds, things that we don't want to trouble our peers with. We don't want to drag them down, but we come in this morning, some of us, with our own difficulties. And, and what you've done, Lord, is you, you pull us in with the songs, with the prayers, with your word. When, when we don't really expect you to do it, you just reach out and you just pull us closer because you love us so much. God, we feel that. We thank you. Lord, we want to love you back. So help us as we try to do that. And God, for those of us who did not come in with struggles, those of us who came in this morning feeling pretty good, feeling on top of things, feeling so blessed in so many ways, help us to look around and notice those who are struggling, and especially those who, who didn't make it today here to worship with us, who might need us to check on them. God, help us to love them like you've been showing us. Help us to reach out and take a load off of them. And God, we, we thank you for the moment in time you've given us where you, you give us a taste of earth on heaven, even as we talk about possibly the future of hell on earth that might be imminent. We, you give us a taste of heaven in the middle of all of that. God, you are so good. God, help us to spread that to others. 
And as opportunities present themselves, help us to be your light in this horribly dark world. And may you be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.